good evening. I appreciate everyone here taking the time out to come here and hear me preach and to fellowship with one another. I greatly appreciate you all taking the time out of your day uh, to do that. Again, my name is uh, Josh Lee. I am the minister of the Franklin Church of Christ up in Franklin, Ohio. Uh, I've been preaching about, about 13 years. And after the end of the sermon, you guys may say, well, you got a long way to go. But then again, you may say, hey, <laughs> you don't do too bad of a job. But be that as it may, I am thankful that all y'all are here. It's good to see some of my friends from the West Side Church as well from uh, up in Cabot. I was there back in May that held a meeting. I'm glad they came out to uh, uh, support this as well. And it's good to see them. I want to start off by telling you guys a story. And the story goes about a couple who is getting married. And the, the, they got married later on in life. And the bride, she had a rough life. She, she went through a lot of trials, a lot of troubles, just really had a rough life. And when she met her future groom, he proposed to her. They were going through all the pre-marriage counseling sessions. And they would be in those sessions and she would say, are you sure that you want to marry me? She goes, look at me. Look at the mess that I am in. She goes, I have a, a 28-year-old daughter who has a mind of a six-year-old girl. The struggle that comes with raising her are difficult. Are you sure you want to marry me? She goes, I'm old. She goes, I have wrinkles. The groom would look at her and goes, yes. Yeah, I want to marry you. I want to do that. Well, finally, the wedding day comes. Everything's beautiful. Everything's perfect. And the groom had prearranged with the preacher to stop the sermon, or the ceremony, I should say, right before the exchanging of the rings. Well, when that moment of the ceremony came, he reached in his pocket and pulls out a ring, calls her daughter up, and says, hey, I want to give you this ring. I want you to know as well that no matter how difficult you may think you are, no matter how burdensome you may think you may be, I should say, I take you as my own. I want you to know I love you no matter what. The woman, again, has the mind of a six-year-old. She's embarrassed. She's crying. She's happy. She comes up. She hugs the groom and says, thank you, thank you, thank you. She goes, I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for doing that for me. To, act, to witness an act of love like that would probably have most of us bubbling over with emotion, okay? But I cannot think of a clearer picture of what's in this book right here. Not a clearer picture. We know that God looks at us as his bride. And remember when the bride in the session would say, are you sure you want me? We may say the same thing to God. God, are you sure you want me? Do you know how difficult I am? Do you know how messed up I am? Do you know all the things I've done, God? And you're telling me you're going to take me, God says, absolutely. I'm 100% sure. In fact, here's my son. I want to hang him on a cross for you. His blood is going to be shed for you. Absolutely, I take you. Folks, God takes us no matter what our situation may be. Society may say one thing, but God says something totally different. Over your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 2 is where our discussion is going to begin at. We're going to look at an Old Testament situation. Jeremiah chapter 2. And as you're turning there, let me thank the elders as well this time for inviting me down here. No one here knows me 
and to invite a guy from near Dayton, Ohio down here who you guys have never known takes a lot of guts. And I appreciate it uh, very much uh, for this opportunity that you guys have had. But as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, let's just read verses 1 through 3 starting off. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. In other words, your love as a bride, okay? When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come up on them, says the Lord. We'll stop our reading right there. This is God speaking here, okay? And we may think of God as maybe just some machine or being up there in heaven, just kind of controlling everything, which is what he does, kind of. But, but we may lose an understanding of how personal God really is and how personal he can be. He's speaking to his nation here, the nation of Israel. He's saying he's remembering them as a youthful nation. He's remembering their devotion, his love, their love for him as a bride. And God's saying, listen, you follow me to a land not even sown. You trusted me so much that you went over here where no one's ever been, trusting that I would take care of you. And he did. And he also said, anyone who tried to devour you, he said, I, I destroyed them. In other words, I had your back. You didn't have to worry about anything. But unfortunately, though, that wasn't good enough, was it? Let's pick up our reading at verse uh, 5, 4 now. Let's read verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting at verse 4. says, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice has your fathers found in me that they gone far from me, have fondled idols, and have become idolaters? The English Standard Version, I'm reading out the New King James, but the English Standard says that they, had, they went after worthless, worth, well, worthlessness, and became worthless. God said, why did you do that? What did your fathers find in me that was so terrible after all this stuff I did for them that they went after the, 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 these worthless idols? Folks, God could say the same thing to us today. He could look every Christian in this room in the eye if he wanted to and say, hey, what sin or what idol calls you to turn your back on me. What are we going to say? The bottom line is this. There's nothing out there that is worth turning our back on God for. However, as we go through this sermon, we're going to find out, obviously, that there are some things that cause us to turn our back on God from time to time. But let's look at verse 11 through 13 of our text. Now drop down to verse 11 of Jeremiah chapter 2, starting at verse 11. The prophet here says, has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory. For what does not profit? Be astonished, O heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Now pay attention here. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. 
Folks, God's basically saying, hey, hey, why do you trade me for? I mean, really? Why? Look at verse 12. Think about these verses like this, okay? In verse 12, there's some stark language that is being used there. It says, be appalled, O heavens, English standard says, at this, be shocked or horribly afraid, okay? At this, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Well, be shocked at what? Well, a couple things. Number one is they turned their back on God and started chasing worthlessness, right? And then we just read in our, in our text as well that they committed two evils. They forsook God, right? And they chose to do that. They mentally said, we are not going to do this. We are going to chase something totally different. Folks, why do we as Christians sometimes think if God has given us this living water, okay, this fountain of living water, everything we need is right here. It's just flowing for us to take advantage of, but we like to pick up our shovels and we like to walk over here and say, well, that's, that's, that's cool, but I like this one right here a little better because this is what I want to do. This is my way. This is my fountain. This is my water. God says, man, it's, it's broken cisterns. It's not even going to hold any water. Why even worry about it? Folks, the house of Israel couldn't get it then. Folks today can't get it. And that's a challenge for all of us to ask ourselves, are we holding broken cisterns or are we going to the fountain of living waters that God has given us to get a hold of basically at any time we want? Listen, we talk about this story here in Jeremiah. We know that they turned their back on God. But, and, and, and God has seen them through so much. God has seen us through so much. But for some reason, we still fail him from time to time. And I love that story there in Jeremiah because I think it segues perfectly in to James chapter 1. If you flip over to the New Testament, to the book of James chapter 1. And let's start reading verses 13 through 16. James chapter 1, starting at verse 13. And hopefully this will help us better understand temptations a little bit. James chapter 1, starting at verse 13. James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And we'll stop our reading right there. These verses obviously deal with temptation. Okay. And I want us to understand what James is talking about here. In Jeremiah, they committed two evils, remember? They forsook God. They chose to do that. They, they willfully chose to sin. They chose God thinking whatever they were chasing, that other fountain over here, was more valuable than what they had. But James and the rest of Scripture is not that we do not participate in the things that God forbids. It's that we choose to participate in the things which God forbids over obeying him. And that's what temptation is, James just told us, right? It's something that lures us away. If I pulled out my wallet and I walked up, I don't know, most people probably don't even carry a wallet anymore, to be honest with you. But if you had a wallet, and I pulled out my wallet, and I said, hey, 
I have something in this wallet that's more valuable than what you have in your wallet. You may say, oh, really? No kidding. What you got? I mean, don't worry about it. I just promise you, what's in my wallet is more valuable than what you got. You want to trade? He may say, hey, yeah, I mean, I'll take that chance. Maybe there is, because I got nothing in my wallet. I mean, I'm not saying you don't. <laughs> but he may say, there's nothing valuable in my wallet, so I'll take whatever you got. Right? We make that exchange. He gets the wallet. He opens up the wallet, and he finds out that, uh-oh, that, that wallet's empty. There's nothing valuable in there. But to me, deceiving him into thinking that there was something valuable, he took the bait. It lured him. It enticed him. And he fell for it. That's exactly how Satan treats us today. So when we think about temptation and we think about when we give in, what are we left with? We're left with a broken cistern. We're left with an empty wallet. We're left with an empty life. We're left with an empty feeling. We may even be left with an empty house because of the temptations that we may give into. But when we're tempted, what's the first thing we want to do? First thing we want to do when we're tempted, we want to blame somebody, right? Well, James kicks that right out the window right off the bat. He goes, no, you can't blame God for this because James tells you God's not going to tempt you. And Paul also tells us that if we are tempted, God always is going to lead that way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 13. It's up to us whether or not we want to find that way of escape. It's there. We need to open our eyes and look for it. Okay. However, we want to blame other people. The culture in which we live in today says, yes, it's not your fault. Blame somebody else for that. That's what the culture screams. But Scripture screams something totally different. The words is going to judge us, John 12, verse 48, what Jesus says there, that his words are going to judge us in the last day. Remember that? Scripture says, no, it's your fault. If you sin, it's your fault because you were enticed, you were lured, you gave in, you took the bait. No one's fault but your own. Sadly, my friends, there may be Christians who feel that they can dig, as I said a minute ago, a better fountain, better waters. We may not make it through this week without being drawn to something that God forbids. I pray not, but because of that strong desire that we have amongst ourselves sometimes, we may leave our relationship with God. So what do we do when we are tempted? I've never been a big fisherman, all right? But when I came up to Cabot, you know, they're already smiling. Brother Artie Hopper took me up to the White River. And it's already out. I can't swim, so I'm just going to tell you all that now. So I was on this river. <laughs> yeah, that's truth. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I don't like water, period, all right? But anyhow, be it as it may, I was hooked on fishing. I loved it. Me and Christy went on vacation in Florida a few weeks ago, and they had a, a dock, you know, had fishing poles set up, so I act like I knew what I was doing. So I go buy some shrimp, whatever, I throw it out there. I catch a catfish. Well, the crazy thing swallowed the whole hook. So I didn't know what to do, so I just cut the line and threw it back in. That's how much I know about fishing. Poor catfish, I don't know whatever happened to it, but be that as it may. In our lives, we, the temptations that we are enticed to, what entices me may not entice someone else, okay? That's obvious, right? 
if I had a fishing hook in my hand and I threw it at somebody, they'd probably catch it, but they'd be a little hesitant to catch it, right? But if I took a gummy worm out of my pocket and I threw it at somebody, they'd just snag that no problem. There's no fear there, right? But what about if I had a hook in that gummy worm? You don't see that, right? So you'd catch it thinking there's nothing wrong with it. It's not going to hurt you. It's just a gummy worm. No, what hurt you was covered up by the bait. That's exactly what James is talking about here. The word lure there takes on the same form as a fishing lure. It's the same concept. It's the same idea. So when that temptation or that bait is dangling in front of us, think past that bait. Think, hey, what's on, what if I take that bait? What's the consequences of that? I don't think like that all the time. I'll be honest with you. I'm not perfect by no stretch of the imagination. I don't think it through. But folks, I challenge us all to think it through. I challenge us all to consider what will happen if we take that bait. It's probably been said in this pulpit hundreds, if not thousands of times, maybe over the years. But we see them commercials on TV. You know, the, the, the beer commercials, whatever it may be. They show everybody out there having a great time on the lake, on the boat, at the ball game, whatever it is, right? But what they don't show you is that car wrapped around that telephone pole with that tree on the way home to that party. They don't want to show the young people that. They want them to think, hey, this is what young people do. This is what it's all about. Right here. I think we went around the room and asked anybody in this room, us older folk, I'm 46, so I consider myself one of them. I'll be 47 in a couple weeks. So I'm one of them people now. All of us can think of someone who lost their life at a young age. Tragically, lost their life at a young age. By particip- Christians I'm talking about. By participating in something that was contrary to God's word. Folks, don't think that it can't happen to you young people. Old people, don't think it can't happen to us. Because it can't. No one in this room is invincible no one in this room is, is, is imperishable, as we're going to talk about, Lord willing, uh, tomorrow night a little bit. Just remember what the temptation is and how to get away from it. Paul says again, there's always going to be that way of escape. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man, folks. You're not going to be tempted any different than anyone else. Look for that way of escape. That's why as Christians, we are to have a different mindset. We are to have a focused mindset as Christians. And I want you to think of this story on focus. Because Lord willing, tomorrow in the the sermon, I'm going to talk about living a focused life. And it's going to come from a different angle, obviously. It's not going to really be about temptation a whole lot at all. But it can tie in right here perfectly. Because being focused as a Christian can help us overcome temptation. Back when the Alaskan pipeline was being built, there was a bunch of pipeliners from Texas that would go up to Alaska to work. And being a union uh, plumber and pipe fitter for 25 years, I know what it's like to go chase that big money on the road. Working the pipelines, working the oil refineries, I know what it's like. Those guys from Texas would go up to Alaska to work. Well, it wasn't long until they started noticing that the native Alaskans were getting a whole lot more done than the boys from Texas. It's cold up there in Alaska, right? So they started doing some some research, if you will, on them, and they realized from a physical standpoint, there was nothing different about them. Skin wasn't thicker, blood wasn't any different. Everything was pretty much the same. But, But when they did the psychological evaluation on them, that's when they found out where the difference was. 
The Eskimos went into the job with a mindset of knowing, hey, there's a job that needs to be done. They weren't thinking about the cold weather. They were thinking about getting the job done. The boys from Texas was thinking about the weather, not so much about the getting the job done. They were letting the elements around them deflect their focus from doing the job. Folks, don't let the elements around us deflect ourselves in our spiritual walks. No matter how many temptations Satan's going to hurl at us from time to time, because it's going to happen, deflect them. It's no accident that we're told to put on the whole armor of God. That's not in there just to take up space in Scripture. That's there for a warning. It's there for a reason. It's there to instruct us. Folks, put it on and be aware of what's going on around us. Listen, I want to thank you for your kind attention this evening and coming out. But we never want to close, though, without offering an invitation to someone who may be in this audience this morning who has never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you to seriously consider if you died today, where would you be tomorrow, as the old saying goes? Take advantage of what God has given you. That's his son. Don't think there's anything in your life that you can't be forgiven for. God will forgive you. And Lord, Lord willing, we'll talk about that tomorrow in the sermon as well. But if you are here and you've gotten off that straight and narrow path, Satan has got a hold of you and he's pulled you off track, you can get back, you can get back on track this evening by confessing, hey, I got problems in my life. I got thoughts in my life. You don't have to go into detail about it. God knows what it is. That's all that matters. I guarantee you the elders, the church will pray with you and for you. They'll do everything they can to help you. So if you need to make any changes, I encourage you to do so. Stand and sing the song that the brother has selected.